This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, even though she dropped out of high school, she graduated from New York University with honors. Welcome, Catherine Irby. A-OK. A-OK. Welcome, everyone. I am here with Catherine Irby, who is a stage and film actress most recognized for playing Detective Eames on Law & Order, Criminal Intent, for over 10 years. While still a college student at New York University, she was cast in the TV show Chicken Soup with Lynn Redgrave. Other television credits include Oz, Homicide, Life on the Street, Blue Bloods, Elementary, and Billions. Her theater resume is an impressive body of work that includes Broadway, Off-Broadway, and work with the famed Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago, of which she is a member. She received a Tony nomination for her role in the Broadway play The Speed of Darkness. She also starred in critically praised and award-winning productions such as The Grapes of Wrath, Streetcar Named Desire, A Month in the Country, Checkers, and most recently, she co-starred with Frank Langella in the Broadway production of The Father. Films include What About Bob, D2, The Mighty Ducks, Stir of Echoes, and Three Backyards. There is so much more to list, but I'm just going to have my listeners go to Google because I don't want to spend my time reading this encyclopedia-long resume. So (laughs) welcome to the podcast, Catherine Irby. Thank you so much, Alana. I'm so happy to be here. I can't believe it. I have you in my booth. I was really overwhelmed, frankly, looking over your resume and kind of seeing the volume of work that you've done. And the thing that really struck me is how incredibly fortunate you are and they are, I might Mm -hmm. add, to work with a kind of writing and writers that you've had the pleasure of working with, both classic texts and new writers. You're attracted to great writing. I am. I'm a reader, an avid reader. I always have been my entire life, and I love good writing and writers in general. You grew up in Newton? Yeah, Newton Center. Newton Center. So my (laughs) sister lives in Newton Center on Lake Avenue, as it turns out, right across from Crystal Lake. I ran around that lake my whole teenagerhood, learned how to swim there, learned how to ice skate. I grew up across 
by where Weeks Junior High School used to be on Rowena Road. I know about Rowena because I heard another interview with you when somehow people were talking about the fun of putting together your stripper name if you were to be a stripper (laughs) and you had an animal growing up named... It was either Muffy or Happy. So you were Muffy (laughs) Rowena or Happy Rowena, depending on the job. That way, one probably some of the jobs were union and some were non-union, so you could change your name depending on it. But anyway, it struck me that I was going to look for Rowena next time I was there. But I've had a bunch of friends and people on this podcast who also grew up in Newton. John Slattery, John Krasinski. It's kind of something was in that water in Crystal Lake that bred (laughs) tremendous creativity. Yeah. In a sweet little suburban New England town. Yeah, it's a pretty nice town to grow up in. And did you go to public school in I Newton? I did. I did. Did you go to Newton South or Newton North? Newton South. You okay. know the deal, oh my don't God. you? I've seen 12. I saw Hairspray there. I think I saw Man of La Mancha. My did niece, you really? Yes, my sister raised her children there. So I know the sweet little elementary school. I've been to every playground. I've been to every, you know, auditorium in wow. Newton. I feel like I really know where you were. So were you acting in high school? Did you begin this there? I began acting in literally first grade and acted in all the school plays. I think that's maybe why there are so many actors and creative folk from Newton, because the arts programs were amazing. I mean, every year you took a different instrument. You started with recorder and then clarinet or whatever, and and you played in the band. My dad would play percussion, and it was really wonderful. We were very lucky, especially compared to how things are now with arts funding. So I acted every year in every musical. Primarily, it would, would be a musical. Have you sung professionally? No, I'm too scared. You are? We're yeah. going to have you singing at the end of this podcast. <laughs> this is going to launch your... That's <laughs> so funny. I don't know what. I'm going to try to cast you as we speak and figure out what the perfect musical theater role for you will That's be. so funny. All right. So I was in two productions in Newton South before I actually dropped out of high school. Do you want to tell us that story? Well, I... Um, I just hit my teenage years and was... Uh, found myself to be deeply unhappy okay, and um, really angry. And I felt then that I had been this good little girl right. my whole you did it all right. life. I did it all right. I had this smile on my face and I only, I, ne- I didn't feel anything. You know, it was all my head mm. really. I wasn't really connected from the neck down. And there was also something really romantic about suffering yes. and suffering for love. And I had these weird ideas like that. I Really, it was just finding myself unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, dis, I kind of took a rebellious turn. And I was tired of pleasing my parents and really tired of the grind of being a good student. And... I actively sought out a group of uh, friends that were kind of in the same path, Mm. and we all went down the drain together pretty much. So what grade was this when you sort of checked out of traditional school? Um, My junior year Mm -hmm. of high school, I dropped out. And, you know, I don't talk about it a lot because I feel like it brings it, – it's it's a hard thing to talk about. Of course. Um, it's painful, I think, for my parents. You know, I felt a lot of shame about it. Um, but more and more, I feel like it might help people for Absolutely. me to talk about it. I mean, I was really lucky. 
you know, I got into cars with people who were drunk and mm. we crashed and, you know, I, I probably shouldn't be here given the odds. But I've always sort of felt like I had a guardian angel or some kind of, you know, spirit in me that was going to survive. And I was really lucky. I mean, my parents cared deeply about me. So I, I dropped out of school. I left home. I lived in in my best friend's, with my best friend's family. And it was when I was living with my best friend's family um, that I dropped out. And my parents saw that as a real warning sign. Mm-hmm. And we had found this alternative high school that was in western Massachusetts called the DeSisto at Stockbridge School, which was basically a therapeutic community. And they mortgaged their house and they sent me to this school. And initially it was kind of against my will. I had I had a schedule that I wanted to do it on. It was certainly right. that I wasn't going to go during the summer. I was, you know. <laughs> no. No, certainly not. with Crystal not. Lake there. there with you. Exactly. <laughs> Nantasket Beach. I had plans and they. Hilarious. Thwarted. Yeah, they were thwarted. Plan thwarters. <laughs> exactly. I knew it. Exactly. And so I went to the school and, and there were, you know, my people. Mm. There were the other misfit kids. You know, you if you looked at me at 10, 11, 12, you would not have thought I was a misfit necessarily, but I certainly felt like one. And that was kind of it. You know, with high school, I just slowly pulled away and I couldn't get back. Right. I couldn't relate to my teachers. I couldn't relate to the other students who were functioning well. I, you know, the farther behind I fell with my work, the farther, uh, oh, you know, the the nails were being yep. in the coffin yep. of my yep. Newton South career. Right. So to, to go to this school, which in its, you know, it was also imperfect, but there were really caring people there. And there were other students there who were struggling in the same way I was. And we all struggled together. And I was there for three years. So I lost two years in the equation. And I ended up graduating there and staying one more year because you could graduate academically and also you had to graduate emotionally. So you... You know, you gained responsibility as you gained emotional intelligence. And God, that should be part of every high school curriculum, right? But you did go to college. I did. And so you did graduate emotionally and academically. And academically. And I applied to NYU. I applied to one school. My parents Smart. were like, what? Saved a lot of admission fees. I yes. Guess. They really were afraid that I wouldn't get into that one college, but I did. And I moved to New York, which was my dream. I mean, a I, city it, of misfits. A city we are of all, misfits. Right? And, and in a career of misfits. Like, you really figured it out. You really figured it out. I guess so. Or or are always in the process of figuring it out. But what a great step. So it's rare that I meet people who already had a series while still in college. How did that happen? When I was a junior at NYU, you know, they don't, they discourage you from auditioning for stuff. But I was grateful that I did disregard that. I remember distinctly sitting on the floor in my one-bedroom apartment that I shared with my one of my best friends, Tiffany. I chose 10 agents right. to send them to. Of course, the biggest ones. I had no idea. And shortly thereafter, I got a call. On your answering machine? On my answering yeah. machine from an agent at J. Michael Bloom in the children's department. So I sent out these things. Beth, this woman, Beth, Rosner calls me from, she thought my mother was going to answer. 
And because I had lost those two years, I was 20, 21. You were your mother. I was, I was yeah. a grown-up, <laughs> you, you were, know. Yes. Yeah. So that was a really good combination because back in those days, and still, if you hire someone who's not of age, you have to have a, right. a tutor. Right. And you didn't pay. have to be emancipated. You exactly. were emancipated. Exactly. Perfect. So I started out doing background on soap operas. While you were still in school. While I was still uh-huh. in school. And then got a line here, a line there, and eventually booked a day player role, Ashley. I bet you on, were wonderful. <laughs> I well, believe it was live. another world. Okay. So I had to preach about safe sex to the young teenagers on that show. Still a good message. Still a good Still message. Still a good message. So I just went in for every audition. Did you finish at NYU or were you working? I finished at NYU. It kind of just went pretty quickly. Right? Like from one yeah. to the next. Yeah. I did that movie, the Runaway Dreams movie, graduated, oh, then got cast in Chicken Soup. So we did the pilot and it before I graduated, it would was picked up. So I was maybe the only graduating member of my class with a job as an actor. Did you have any friends when you graduated? I feel like everyone would be like, Ugh. Damn it. I had a few, and they're still my <laughs> like, friends. Like, I don't know. I'd be really happy for you, but also, like, really? Probably. Really? Probably. I thought were. we weren't allowed to audition. I know. <laughs> well, I went back after and spoke to students um, for my mentor, Jan Cohen-Cruz, and I was honest with them, and I said, do it. Yeah. Do it, because to graduate and then have to start entering this crazy, insane world right. of acting would have been too much. You know, to have done it with in this relative safety mm-hmm. of being in school, I, right? It was a good way to go. So the Steppenwolf Theater Company is sort of our national theater. You somehow made it from New York and ended up joining this unbelievably infamous theater company, doing incredible, groundbreaking work. How did that transition happen? Well, when I was at that high school um, in Western Massachusetts, while I was there, I was in the drama program, and we would come into the city. I got to see The Rink with Cheetah Rivera matinee, and then we went down to Circle Rep in the village. Yeah, They did Bomb and Gilead. Oh, I saw that production. Incredible. I had seen the tour version of Annie, A Chorus Line. Oh, my God. You know, we'd been doing... Fiddler on the Roof. Right. And, like, where am I? What is this? And, you know, Bruce Springsteen, to hear that music, to be in that tiny space. Yeah. And to hear Laurie Metcalf deliver that 45-minute monologue. My jaw was in my lap. And so I remember distinctly leaving that theater. I was just looking out at the world with completely different eyes. I just was thinking, I'll never work with them. I'll never do that kind of work. And so I went to L.A. after NYU and did 11 episodes of that show, Chicken Soup with Lynn Redgrave, the beloved, and many other amazing actors. And my f- it was canceled, and I moved back to New York. Thank God. I was so happy to come back to McDougal Street, where I was living in my own, very own apartment. And my first audition was for the ensemble of The Grapes of Wrath on Broadway. I had never done a professional play, and my agent couldn't wait to tell me. And in fact, I already had a deep crush on Terry Kinney, from his work, and I worked a block from where he lived, so I stalked him in the East Village. And so they cast me, and so my first play 
professional play was on Broadway with Steppenwolf. So how did you act like a normal person? I I acted uh, as I did as a teenager, and I smoked cigarettes and I didn't talk. It was like as if it were a high school play. Those people, I mean, Lois Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, Terry, Gary, Sally Murphy, Jim Trufrost, all of them, every single member of that cast were just beloved Midwestern, like just kind, normal people. Were you ambitious? Would you describe yourself as ambitious? I think I must have been. I must be. But I'm basically a very shy person. Mm. So the theater is a perfect home for shy people because you can kind of use these characters. I mean, I think I wanted attention, but I it felt safer to try to get it as someone else. But more and more I'm aware of feeling really shy and like how scared I am in front of an audience. Even in this show I'm doing right now, I, in, initially at least I'd be much more comfortable with them seeing my back uh-huh. and doing really tiny work. It's very hard for me to open up and, and accept being mm. seen. So, Well, being on part of a franchise that is one of the most popular franchises in television history, how long was Criminal Intent? Was it all in? Like It was about 11 years, you know, right. give or take, and maybe 10 solid whole okay. seasons and maybe part of another, I don't know. Right. Matt, I'm not good at math. Yeah. That's why I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but that must have put you – I mean, that made you an incredibly public person. And I'm sure people recognize you a zillion times a day, not just in New York but all over the world because of how popular that is. And what is that like for you? Most of the time it's really awesome, mm-hmm. really, truly. I mean, when you're having a bad day to have someone say, I love you or I just got so much out of your work, it's really – it helps. And when that show was over, I, I felt very lost. I mean, that was a quarter of my life at that time. Right. Um, well, you were 12, so it was your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> you were 12 and you did it for 12 years and mm. then you were still 12. It looked still 12. <laughs> right. Are you in touch with Vincent D'Onofrio? He will always be – I will, will always consider him a friend. And every once in a while I will text him or call him and invite him to something. Or he texted me Happy Mother's Day on Mother's Day. And I was so happy to That's hear from sweet. him. Yeah, and he texted me from Brazil where some woman just kept screaming at him, where's Eames, where's Eames? But she didn't understand. So ultimately, when you look back on that experience, it was a happy one? We were really lucky. I mean, we had some very good times and some very tough times. And to have had that job was really, I I mean, I was not a big Law & Order fan. I went because it made sense to go in for something that was shooting in New York. Mm-hmm. I really had no idea what I was getting into. On every level? On every level. You know, I cried every day. I missed my kid, mm-hmm. my daughter. I missed Carson. You know, it. I, but up until that point, I, and I still have to watch out for this, if when I wasn't working, I was... I wanted to work, and I wondered why crying. I wasn't working. You were home yes. crying. Yes. We can't win. It's no. really impossible. Well, I've decided now. I mean, I hit a bottom with it last winter. I just realized that it was up to me. Mm-hmm. It's not up to the world to make me happy, right. and I could make a decision and just 
be ha- choose to be happy. After Law & Order finished, I didn't get any work in television. I couldn't get Were any work. Were you just too identified as that character? I guess. I Unclear. don't know. But I lost my insurance. I couldn't get auditions. That's crazy. I thought so. Yeah. But apparently the business didn't. Well, why didn't you have them call me? (laughs) I'm frustrated by that because I would have set them so straight immediately. Um, I want to talk a little bit about The Father. Yeah. Which is an unbelievably remarkable play. First of all, you and Frank Langella are just magic together. The play deals with such a devastating epidemic, I feel like, in Mm. the world right now, which is Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what the experience has been for you? It's been really wonderful and really painful. Mm. Do people share their stories with you all the time? Is it a lot of absorbing that? It is some of that. And because it is such an epidemic, we really feel like we're being of service. Yeah. We have to think of it that way, that that's, I mean, that's really the only way we get to work every night because none of us want to do it. It's really hard. As you know, you know, your body doesn't know that you're acting. Right. So you're going through all this stuff and your body thinks it's real. It's it's a very painful play. It's, um, and... Is there a way to do it so it isn't? Probably, but I don't know how to really do that and feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. And maybe there have been shows where it hasn't cost me quite as much. And I've thought, huh, that's a novel idea. Right. The audience still had this unbelievable experience. Exactly. So why do I feel like I need to rake myself so rake myself over the coals Mm. or be this vulnerable to it I don't know I mean I used to think that that's what it took and I'm not so sure anymore right um because I admire people's what I I like to see a cost I hate to say that but Mm. if it doesn't cost someone most of the time I won't care and I want to care if I'm going to spend the time with these people I I long to care right and be messed up by something. Right. You know? That's how you want to feel as an audience member. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maeve, your daughter, is potentially pursuing acting as well. Is that just inevitable or what do we do about that? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> just you know, we'll support her yeah. in whatever she wants to do. Have you worked do. with her yet? Have you no, guys not worked yet. Together? Now, You and Terry Kinney were married, Mm -hmm. worked together a lot. Mm -hmm. I was a big fan of Oz. Mm -hmm. The character... Shirley Ballinger. Shirley was just so cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, adorable and terrifying at the same time. Every time you had a knitting needle in your hand, I was like, what's going to happen? But you were just knitting. It was fine. Totally fine. Um, But I remember you had scenes with Terry. Mm -hmm. And then you guys split up as... A married mm-hmm. couple. And then I see Checkers, yeah. and he, where you played Pat Nixon, mm-hmm. absolutely magnificently. What, you know, to sit across from you, I can't say there's anything about you that resembles Patricia Nixon, yet somehow it worked. It really worked. Like, it was so believable. People can look online and look at photographs and be like, that really worked. Obviously, you guys can work together. Well, he knew that. He knew that Pat was in me. I had no idea. And at the time, we were still struggling through splitting up. Mm -hmm. And um, he had the courage to ask me. I'll probably cry. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's good. They're happy tears. (laughs) 
No, you forgot to tell me I'm that part. So sorry. It's 30 minutes, and <laughs> if you don't cry or sing, it's really not going to be aired. But he had the courage to ask me, and I think he was trying to ask me for a while. But again, if I don't want to hear something, no. I don't hear it. It never would have entered my the realm of possibility. But he did ask me, and I said yes, and almost against my will, but I, you know, but not, you right. know, I somehow trusted. I, I, when we were married, I hated being directed by him. Mm. Hated it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want him telling me what to do in at work and then at home. No, 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 no. And there's a big age difference, right? He's, They're eleven years, right? Yeah, but th- that show. I mean, it was different. We were different, and I, I, I was. We were both very different, and I wanted to be directed and I trusted him. Wow. And um I I would work with him at, at will at any time he asked me because I that's one of the things, you know, I'm willing to do whatever is asked mm-hmm. of me for the most part now. And I love being directed, but I need to trust the person who is directing me. Right. Because I'll go there if right. you ask me to. And right. I, it's good to have it be someone you can trust. So You are so brave to share what you share today and all of the work that you've shared with your audiences, both on screen and on stage. And we are so lucky to have you as part of this generation of incredible actors. I learn so much every time I watch you. You're just a really magnificent talent. And um, thank you for sharing this time with us today. Thanks, Alana. It was thank you just so a much. Joy. I hope you'll come back again. Anytime. Okay. Tomorrow. Great. Uh, <laughs> I'm not here tomorrow, but you are welcome to come. And we <laughs> totally make yourself at home. I'll leave the key under the rug. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. Hey, I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page.